the guide to the bodhisattva's way of life. This is November 9th, 2021, 6.30 p.m. We are going to start with a short meditation. Check in with your body. And let's Take five minutes to check in with ourselves, our intentions. Are we really serious about this? Or are we just doing this habitually? How am I feeling today? Am I feeling really, really good about sitting as a Sangha, talking about Bodhicitta and having the ultimate wish of getting enlightened from the cyclic existence? not just for our suffering, but to help the whole universe. Are we really serious and ready to merge into that original loving heart center of the universe? Forget all self-cherishing. At emotional level, intellectual level, and at the core survival level. To study the Buddha Dharma, to develop a bodhicitta, and then study it deeply. Just check in with yourself for the next two minutes with a calm and loving heart. Now check in with your body again. Relax your body and soften your face. And take a minute to rejoice for the opportunity to sit together and learn.
Bodhisattva's way of life. When you're ready, you can open your eyes and end the meditation. So this is the second of the four-week series on Bodhisattva's way of life. Last week, I gave an introduction on all the chapters and we covered about three chapters. Um, Michael, is it possible for me to see your face? Your oh. camera is on anyway. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. Hello, everybody. <laughs> sorry. Hi, Nilesh. Um, hi there. Hi. And, um, so tonight we are actually going to do um, a little bit of review and also the next three chapters, two or three chapters. So to give an intro about um, the first three chapters, uh, Bodhisattva Way of Life is actually written by a seventh or eighth century monk in um, India, Nalanda University called Shantideva. And, um, it was a book written for his own, uh, as a journal for uh, his, his own practice. And history says he gave a presentation of this in Nalanda University. And um, after that day, nobody have seen him. So um, this book have nine chapters, uh, 10 chapters. Um, the first chapter is the acquiring the wish for enlightenment. So it's actually kind of a standard in Indian Dharma texts in the Sanskrit tradition to start every Dharma text um, by um, talking about the benefits of reading that text or the benefit of studying that text. So it is just like planting intention and uh, making the student feel good or uh, focusing improving the focus of the student that okay this is the text and this is this is the benefit uh, for example there will be texts about you know ayurveda or texts about um, other areas of um, knowledge um, and even on those kind of sanskrit texts also initially it will be given if you if you learn this text this is the benefit. So that is actually kind of a cultural thing. So he also did that. The first chapter is called Acquiring the Wish for Enlightenment. And then uh, the next chapter is called Purification. Uh, there are many uh, translators of this book. I have um, selected mainly uh, Dr. Alan Wallace and uh, some others. Um, and last week I actually got the translation of Lama Marut also, which is actually um, amazing because he has the actual Sanskrit text on top and then 
the uh, translation which no nobody else had that so i'm really um, happy to have that and his lama Marut's translations are so simple and straightforward and i'm so happy that i was able to land on it on a google search so there are uh, there is there are some uh, translations by um Pema Chodron, Alan Wallace, Geshe Michael, um, and um, I forgot uh, his name. Um, the secular um, Buddhism teacher, also Stephen Batchelor. Yeah. So the first chapter is benefit of the awakening. Uh, mind awakening mind is actually bodhicitta so the bodhisattva is actually the 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 one who have bodhicitta it is the wish intense wish for enlightenment from cyclic experience cyclic cyclic life for in order to benefit everybody so benefit of acquiring bodhicitta that is the first chapter and the second one is called um, confession so or purification purification is um, a popular um, translation it's also called confession by um, some translators disclosure of evil by Stephen Batchelor um, so the first thing that we do after acquiring the both wish for enlightenment so it is a wish for bodhicitta we haven't had the bodhicitta yet we are having that prayer or wish for bodhicitta and then we are doing the purification and the third chapter is called acquiring the bodhicitta so by the end of uh, uh, third chapter um, shanti, shanti deva actually um, steps uh, give the steps of what is bodhicitta and um, surrendering to that um, bodhicitta and give ending with the promise that okay this is what i want so um, that is how that's where we entered in the last session and the next one the immediate um immediately after acquiring bodhicitta the fourth chapter is actually called how to protect bodhicitta so um different translators have different names so i'm not going into all this translation um things because we have just 90 minutes and um i want to get into the matter actually um stephen Baxler calls this chapter as conscientiousness so having firmly seized the awakening mind this way that is from the third chapter end we actually got the bodhicitta a conqueror's son must never waver. So that is the first first verse of the fourth chapter. Having firmly seized the awakening mind in this way, a conqueror's son must never waver. Always should he exert himself to never stray from his practice. So, so the fourth chapter is actually um, about staying vigilant about the bodhicitta that we have arisen in our heart in sanskrit it is called bodhicitta pramado pramado means not to actually leave it 
it's actually the, the third chapter is called embracing in 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 sanskrit and then the fourth chapter is not leaving it so once you embrace it the fourth chapter then the thing is how to stray away from it so Lama Maruth translates this as a child of Buddha once they tightly embrace the wish for awakening must always make tireless efforts not to neglect it. So that is how the fourth chapter starts. So let me give you a, a small uh, intro about the fourth chapter and I will do some reading after that and we can um, have this can be an interactive session so at any point if you have any um, uh, comments or questions please um, feel free to interrupt the chapter four the first first words i just read you know as a child of buddha once they have tightly embraced the wish for awakening must always make tireless efforts to not to neglect it that is how the chapter four which is staying vigilant about the wish to awakening starts and from first verse to 12 it is actually the promise to resolve to keep the bodhicitta that is what shantideva says and the second verse is like this it is important to consider whether or not to do what has been rashly undertaken or not properly considered even though one has made a commitment so in the third chapter we have actually commit have done the commitment for bodhicitta and the fourth chapter we are actually um, planting it firmly and having the resolve not to stray from it how can i neglect what has been well examined by the buddhas their offsprings and even by myself to the best of my ability that is the third verse if i have made this commitment i don't i don't succeed in putting it into if i don't put in succeed in putting it into action i have lied to all of them what then would be my fate so that is the logic shantideva shantideva's logic is if i have already made the commitment as i did in the third chapter to have this bodhicitta that is uh, to work towards complete enlightenment to for the sake of all living beings if i have made this commitment and if i don't succeed actually to put it into action so having a commitment and putting it action into action are two different things right so shantideva is actually slowly pulling us into the action part see the first chapter he actually gave us the benefit the second chapter he made us go through the purification um, actually talking about purification in the last session um, I wanted to go through the four powers I didn't have time so maybe after after the break maybe we can do a 10 minute meditation on the purification um, and then the complete embrace embracing of bodhicitta that is the third chapter so after this um, the fourth chapter he's actually giving logic um, uh, you know uh, if I have made the commitment but I'm not doing anything then what is the point I have lied that is what he's saying and in the in the verses he's saying um, in from verse 13 to 26 he's actually saying talking about the scary outcomes of giving a promise and not keeping us <laughs> <laughs> so it's very he's very skillful in actually um, he, it's actually I don't think this book was written as a book for his students I don't think he had any students um, it was done 
for his own so thing so this is the path he actually um, used to purify his own mind to teach himself um, you know both carrots and sticks the benefits of bodhicitta and then you commit to bodhicitta and then if you commit and don't do anything about it you're going to hell or <laughs> these are the um, scary outcomes of not keeping the promise and um, it's it's very interesting to go through that logic step by step the fifth um, verse is it has been said that a person who intends to give something even a very small thing but nevertheless does not give it will become a craving spirit or um, craving spirit means what is that um, hungry ghost so He's giving another logic. It is said that a person who has an intention to give something to somebody, in the, even in the worldly life, but doesn't do it, it actually plants the seed for becoming a hungry ghost. So, and the next say, so what about someone who lies ostentatiously, ostentatiously inviting the whole world to the highest happiness and then don't do it? What then would be my fate? So that is his logic. <laughs> so um, again it is actually not he is not right he did not write it to tell others or to prove a logical thing to others he actually was talking to himself so um, the next verse only someone who was omniscient could know the inscrutable way karma could unfold such that even people who give up the wish to awaken could nevertheless attain liberation Truly, that is the gravest downfall of them all for a bodhisattva. Since by bringing this about, one damages the welfare of all beings. So being, having planted the bodhisattva intention to leave it, to stray away from it, not to nurture it, not to put that into action, is the gravest downfall for a bodhisattva. So he's not even actually talking about all the six perfections or it is like you have this bodhicitta intention now just keep it just have that done that is the first meditation just planting that and then feeling good about it and not to actually um, stray away from it so that's what this chapter is about um, <clears throat> And 13 to 26, he's giving all the scary outcomes of not keeping the promise. I'm not reading that. And on um, 14, if I stay like this as I am now, I will repeatedly suffer bad rebirth, sickness, death, mutilation, laceration, and so forth. When will I again obtain what is so very hard to obtain? That is the bodhicitta and the ability to practice merit verse 16 today there may be a health enjoyment and no problems but life is fleeting and deceptive and the body is just on loan so having read this all these chapters i can actually tell you that you know there is all these chapters with different names um like you know this chapter is um 
learning to be careful or um, and then second one is guarding the awareness the fifth sixth one is not getting angry then joy so all these chapters at least about 50 to 60 percent of all the chapters um, is actually dedicated to renunciation um you know we may we may go to the sixth chapter and it's called not getting angry and we may think that oh okay okay this is in this chapter he's actually going to give step-by-step -step methodology uh, you know like how we read a self-help book or something like that uh, to get angry no it is not he just gives one or two tips at the end but the bulk of the chapter is all the chapters the bulk of the chapter is dedicated to the three principal paths and what are the three principal paths can anyone say in Mahayana Buddhism I can I, I don't know if anybody is talking uh, muted what are the three principal paths in Mahayana Buddhism pronunciation that is the first one Bodhicitta mm -hmm. and correct worldview. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so um, in in the Theravada tradition, there is a lot of um, emphasis on the three jewels and the three truths, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, and studying suffering, impermanence, and no-self and but in mahayana tradition there it's a different way there's a lot of emphasis on having a good heart and to have a good heart to save a, for the benefit of every being we have to have a renunciation first and i was just um, surprised like how many not even half half of this book more than half of this book is actually dedicated to renunciation and it's actually a book about bodhicitta but there's so much emphasis on renunciation so i just wanted to share that uh, with you all today there may be health enjoyment and no problem this is the 16th verse uh, but life is fleeting and deceptive and the body is just on loan with behavior such as mine he's he's talking to himself I will not again obtain a human birth. Shantideva is saying that his own behavior doesn't guarantee him a human birth again. When one doesn't get such a human birth with behavior as such as mine, I will not again obtain a human birth. When one doesn't get such a human birth, there are only bad deeds for how can we, how can one do good? If I don't do meritorious actions while I'm capable of it, what will I do when I'm completely stupefied by the sufferings of the outcome of the states? Again, um, renunciation. One who does not do meritorious action and instead accumulates bad deeds will have destroyed his chances to even hear the word good birth, even to hear the word good birth for hundreds of millions of eons. One who do not one who does not do meritorious action and instead accumulate bad deeds and accumulate bad deeds means what 
the do the samsaric way of life the cyclic way of life the joys of samsara and getting uh, indulged in the joys of samsara and putting all your trust in that and just doing in that um what treadmill um hedonic treadmill that is the accumulation of bad deeds self-cherishing self-entertainment aging sickness and death that is why the blessed one said this is verse 20 that is why the blessed one said a human birth is very hard to op obtain as rare as a turtle who just happens to stick its neck into the opening of a york floating in the great sea so that that image actually came from this book yeah shanti deva is actually talking about that uh, to get a human birth the precious human birth is actually as rare as a turtle who's just happened to stick its neck into the opening of a yoke floating in the great sea because of a bad deed done in just one moment one goes into hell for an eon so how on earth will i and in end in a good rebirth with bad deeds accumulated since beginning last time next verse and having experienced even that one still is not freed for one has created new bad deeds while being in that experience and so having obtained momentarily opportunity like this were i not to use it to practice the virtue there would be no greater betrayal no greater foolishness so this is verse 1 to 23 this is actually he's actually telling okay you you got this bodhicitta intention you got you embrace the bodhicitta and now it is foolish to not nurture it it's foolish not to to stray from it not to take it serious and from verse 13 to 26 uh, 28 to 35 he's talking about enemies It's like I have no choice in the matter, as if bewitched by mantras. I do not know who has confused me. I do not know who is there inside me. Enemies like craving and hatred don't have hands, legs, and the rest. They are not strong or clever. So how is it that I am enslaved by them? So he's introducing these enemies, this concept of enemies, that craving and hatred. Stationed within my own mind, they are perfectly situated to destroy me. And yet I don't get angry at them. So, so first he actually planted the resolve to keep the bodhicitta. And then he gave a lot of scenarios of the scary outcomes of not keeping the promise. And now he's introducing the concept of desire and ill will or hatred and craving even if one even if every one of the goats and humans were my enemies they would still not be able to drag me down into the fires of hell like my own hatred and craving which when encountered could burn even mount meru into ashes but the powerful mental affliction enemies cast me into them instantly none of my enemies have such a long life 
without beginning or end like the long longevity of my own mental affliction so one logic he says is in this birth all my enemies can cause me small harms but the real enemy is hatred and craving and they actually cause harm not only in this life but cause harm for millions of lives so who is the real enemy somebody who actually gives you some uncomfort or somebody who made you angry temporarily like all of us might have had many bad experiences but we have all they have, you know they haven't ha had so much effect on us like our own hatred desire and ill will because it will not die with us we will carry it so he's actually introducing saying that none of my other enemies have such a long life like my mental afflictions everyone when treated with kindness become affable but when these mental afflictions are honored they bring about even more suffering and now he is actually now that he has introduced these enemies he is actually slowing slowly taking us to the method of how to slay the enemy for as long as these enemies are not struck down right before my eyes i will not drop this burden i am carrying proud people enraged with an offender do not sleep until they destroy their enemies no matter how trivial the offense excuse me in the heat of the battle fierce warriors warriors are able to swiftly kill those who ignorant and unhappy will die anyway although tormented by countless wounds from arrows and spears they do not turn away until they have accomplished their goal so he is actually preparing us to be this warriors to slay the enemy of mental afflictions of hatred and craving when i am intent on slaying my enemies the causes of all my continuous suffering why am i now depressed and dejected even if i must put up with hundreds of difficulties some people wear the wounds they received for no good reason from their enemies as if they were ornaments on their bodies so why do sufferings bother me who am intent on accomplish such a great goal so this chapter is a very small chapter there is only 48 verses people like fishermen outcasts and farmers put up with all kinds of adversities like cold heat and the rest just to make a living so why can't i also bear hardship for the sake of ending my enemies and the welfare of whole world although i have committed to liberating from their mental afflictions all living beings extended throughout the space in all directions i have even not managed to free even my own myself from such an affliction so bodhicitta is actually the intention to have complete enlightenment for the sake of all living beings but the first step is to end 
the afflictions in our own mind and free ourselves from our own ignorance and desire and hatred. Not really know, knowing myself, I was a crazy person who spoke then. But because of that commitment, I will never turn away from the vanquishing of the mental affliction. I will be tenacious and intent on revenge. I will wage war against my own mental afflictions, except for the kind that are designed to obliterate mental afflictions. Let my guts ooze out and my head fall off, whatever, but I will never, no matter what, bow before my enemies the mental afflictions. An enemy, even when exiled, may find asylum in another country and from there return with forces reassembled, but there are no such course of action available to the mental affliction enemies. And the last verse 48 is, having reflected on this, having reflected on all this, I will make an effort to put into practice the teachings as they have been taught to me. Why would someone who could be cured by taking the prescribed medicine deviate from this doctor's instruction? So that was chapter four, the resolve to keep bodhicitta. So the chapter three was actually embracing the bodhicitta and the chapter four is actually um, affirming or affirming the resolve to keep the bodhicitta. I'm just opening up for any question or any comments or maybe you can silently contemplate on some of it. Jay, when you were talking about um, or when the text was talking about like the fishermen having all these hardships like the cold and heat to make a living um, and comparing that to having tenacity in our spiritual practice I was noticing that for myself like how much effort I put into going to work to make money um, oh, yeah. compared to like what seems too difficult or challenging for spiritual like sometimes it's like oh but I have to pull out my meditation cushion out of the closet like literally it's like that's it but like I'll do all this stuff to go to work and like commute for hours and like sit in traffic so oh yeah <laughs> it is like to keep up my body in shape to keep up my relationships to keep my financial security to keep up my social life mm -hmm. <laughs> if, if I had put like one tenth of the efforts that I put in all these you know areas in in dharma i would be enlightened now <laughs> so i i was also thinking the same thing you know it is like and in in one of the following chapters he talks about how much effort you are putting and for the joy of samsaric cyclic existence so he's actually using sarcasm mm -hmm. you know um so uh, i was thinking like how much effort I am putting, you know, to, this is all just out of insecurity, <laughs> you know, trying to talk to nice, talk nicely to co-workers who actually I have 
problem getting along with <laughs> trying to uh, hide my anger um, um, you know in all these four areas whether it is financial security um, family security social security social security means connections and friends and the and the and the health you know the, the sphere of aging sickness and death so for all this the fear of these four areas the drama that i play the effort that i put lying to myself uh, if i put like tenth one tenth of it to study that like this when thanks again for inviting for me for doing this because when i do this i just dive deep into text the original text and it actually takes me to a different world and when um, when i read these kind of verses i go into deep silence and um, i'm glad that you shared that it it affected you also and took you also into that contemplation thank you for sharing anybody else I think I wasn't paying attention to like to like enough to where I could formulate a sentence about um, or a question about what you were talking about relating to people that are giving us issues, but we still have to have a relationship with them um, and how to have a relationship with them when there is turmoil. Um, yeah, if you can elaborate or. Actually, that's a good question because the next chapter, I think, I think either chapter five or six is actually um, a lot of verses, maybe 10 verses, Shantideva dedicates on how people, how the people who actually give you suffering is actually good for you, doing you a favor. He actually uses that. They are doing you a favor, <laughs> you know, but remind, about reminding the suffering of cyclic ex, uh, uh, existence, about giving you an opportunity to meet your own mental afflictions. And I, I, it's so logical. I, I think it is in the chapter of anger or maybe in chapter five. The next chapter is actually called um, chapter five is guarding awareness. Um, Stephen Batchelor calls it guarding awareness. Um, um, Alan Ballas call it, calls it guarding introspection. And let me see what Lama Maruth calls it. Chapter five, guarding full awareness. Sambratnya rakshana, that is what it is in, in Sanskrit. Sampratnya means actually the good awareness. Some, when, uh, whenever some Buddha or when the word some is added to anything, it is actually the good awareness, the higher awareness. Rakshana means to protect. So guarding full awareness that is the next chapter so thanks for that question so we can actually move forward that um cheryl that question will be answered i think in the next chapter or in one of these so i actually went through those um verses today when i was reading the text so we will get to that okay we are actually going into chapter five and the chapter five is called, called guarding awareness 
So the previous chapter is about um, um, affirming the intention of Bodhicitta and then right after that he goes into like how do we how do we make sure that we are actually not actually straying away from Bodhi, uh, Bodhicitta and that is the the the, the first method he is introducing on chapter 5 is mindfulness guarding full awareness so chapter in this chapter from first first to there is 109 verses in this chapter this is one of the biggest chapters and see the last one was only like 48 verses um, this one has more than 100 um, 109 and the first 10 verses he's saying everything is mind with the desire to want desire to protect one's practice one should make efforts to guard the mind this is the first verse it's not possible to protect one's practice if one does not guard the fickle mind crazy elephants do not wreck the havoc in this world that an undisciplined Elephant of mind creates in hell and other realms. But if the elephant, which is the mind, is completely restrained by the rope of mindfulness, then all fear vanishes and complete well-being arrives. So he, it's actually really interesting. So the first four chapters, we, it's all about bodhicitta, getting us to commit to bodhicitta, how to guard bodhicitta. Uh, not to stray away, away from bodhicitta and now it is actually the first thing is first of the practices that he's giving is mindfulness which is actually guarding our awareness so it's actually um, you know it's very refreshing to see the importance of mindfulness it's not just a modern um, in a positive psychology or a modern intellectual movement or a fashion mindfulness is actually the foundation of, of spiritual practice guarding what is uh, being aware of what's happening in our mind creating that small space and looking at it face to face whether it is like difficult thoughts difficult emotions or even doing difficult things while doing it we can actually practice mindfulness even if we are we are doing something or saying something or feeling something that's not wholesome we, we guarding that of having that awareness have a lot of value and the cultivation of that awareness is actually the first practice that he is introducing after having the both Chitta and Bodhisattva commitment. So, crazy elephants do not wreak havoc in this world. That the undisciplined elephant, elephant of the mind creates. But if the elephant, which is the mind, is completely restrained by the rope of mindfulness, then all fear vanishes and complete well-being arrives. All one's enemies—tigers, lions, elephants, bears, bears. Um, snakes, all the guardians of hell, witches and demons, they all become subdued simply because the mind has been controlled. Simply by taming the mind, all of them are tamed. That's why the one who speaks the truth 
said all fears and immeasurable suffering are due to the mind alone so the the verse 1 to 10 is actually about you know uh, the situation of our mind everything is mine and why is it so important to be guarding our awareness or being aware of what is happening in our mind is so important the sage declared that all of that has arisen from the evil mind I, I missed one verse what so laboriously devised the weapons in hell who laid the burning floor and where did those tempters come from the sage declared that all of that arises from the evil mind and so there is nothing else in these three worlds as daunting as mind if the perfection of giving means freeing everyone from beggary then how can it be that anyone has ever achieved it since there is still even now poverty in the world so here this is a good logic if the perfection of giving so buddhas have perfection of giving generosity um, and buddhas have bodhicitta and there have been a lot of buddhas and his logic is if the perfection of giving means freeing everybody from beggary so if the buddhas had bodhicitta and they were enlightened and they were if they were not able to they had bodhicitta means they had the enlightenment for the sake of all living beings but if you look at living beings they still suffer so what happened to the buddha's commitment did they not do it so he's actually bringing it back it's it's about the mind it is if the perfection of giving generosity means freeing everyone from suffering then how can it be that anyone has achieved it since there is still poverty in the world so there is still poverty in the world so does that mean that there was no buddhas in the world it has been said that the perfection of giving is the wish to give everything give away everything along with karmic results of that act to every single living being then why it is really just a state of mind where could the fish and other beings so go to escape being killed it is regarded as the perfection of ethics when the mind of abstention is acquired <clears throat> so this is verse 11 so 1 to 10 is everything is mine 10 to 29 so the next 20 verses is about the need for guarding the mind how many bad people more numerous than space itself will i need to kill if i have to end evil in the world when the angry mind is slain then all enemies die so he's actually bringing it that that the suffering of the world ends when the suffering in our mind ends how could you ever find enough leather to cover the earth just the leather on the sole of your shoe is enough to cover the ground and so although i am able to access unable to exercise control over external phenomena i will restrain my own mind what else do i need to do even when acted upon voiced if others thought is dim-witted there will be no results such as obtaining a high birth etc 
the knower of the reality has said that even if recitation and physical hardships are practiced for long periods of time, they will be meaningless if the mind is distracted elsewhere. Although the development of merely a clear state of concentration can result in taking birth in the Brahma realm, physical and vocal actions cannot so result when accompanied by a weak mental contact. Even those who wish to find happiness and overcome misery will wander with no aim nor meaning if they do not comprehend the secret of the mind the paramount significance of dharma. All these verses, initial verses of this chapter, the guarding the mind, is actually the summary of this is the first 30, 40 verses. The summary is everything is mind. This is my, my take. So in bodhicitta, when we say bodhicitta, we have bodhisattva intention and we have bodhicitta. We are actually doing planting an intention to work on enlightenment to help everybody everybody because we see people suffering. But in this chapter he's saying that saying without saying that there are all those thousands of Buddhas who had bodhicitta who were bodhisattvas but there is still suffering there. So does that mean that they did not do their job? He is slowly giving logic that the suffering that we see is actually our state of mind. Even those who wish to find happiness and overcome misery will wander with no aim nor meaning. If they do not comprehend the secret of the mind. This being so, I shall hold and guard my mind very well. So mind is the center of everything and the guarding the mind. The first thing to do working with mind is actually looking at it like a doctor looks at the patient. I shall hold and guard my mind well. Without the discipline of guarding the mind, what are the use of any other disciplines? This is verse 18. Let me read the translation of Lama Marut. And so I will make my mind well regulated and well guarded. If I am lax about my vow to guard the mind, what use is there in having taken any other vows? Yeah, so this is Shantideva is actually saying that guarding the mind, the mindfulness, knowing what is happening, that is a foundation foundation of all other disciplines just as I would be attentive and careful of a wound so now he's like very create creatively he's being a good teacher to himself he's actually comparing our present state of mind to a wound and then in verse 24 he compares it to a sickness and in 28 he compares to a thief and then again, 29, he recalls the misery of her lower realms. And in thir verse 30, after all these things, from 20 to 30, he compares to a wound, compares to sickness, compares to a thief, the, reminding the miseries of lower realms. 
on verse 30 he's actually saying the first step to do is actually being associated with a good teacher so let's do that let's go through that just as i would be attentive and careful of a wound when amidst a bustling uncontrolled crowd so i should always guard the wound of my mind when dwelling among harmful people so if i have a wound and if i am with the people i will actually be careful not to um you know cause more harm to that wound or i will take care of that wound just like that you have to take care of your wound that is a mind when you are dealing with people so this is actually a very good practice like when i am talking to somebody when i am actually reading some email when i am actually doing anything thoughts or actions or speaking my normal way is actually approach it do it from a being of ego i am jay and let me see what you got you know what is that let me see from this verse if i'm practicing this verse just as i would be attentive and careful of a wound when i am in an uncontrolled crowd i should always guard the wound of my mind when dwelling among people means with this practice if i'm talking to somebody when i'm doing something when i'm reading something or interacting anything or even thinking i have the knowledge that i have a wounded mind so what my mind telling me is actually not true when i hear something i immediately judge that person as good bad neutral i'm actually doing it with a wounded suffering mind or an ignorant mind that is what mindfulness is according to shanti deva it's not like bare attention it is not knowing that oh jay is giving, talking now it's not jay is talking with an ignorant mind that is the mindfulness the first one also helps it will help from causing harm i may not even i may get at that you know i may slow down i may get a little window to not do anything or say anything harmful or uh, negative but the wisdom that i'm actually what i'm actually seeing now when lauren says something when michael says something or cheryl says something the judgment is coming and that is actually behind that is actually my ignorant mind and that it is that ignorant mind that is hearing it that is giving me the three pleasant unpleasant neutral thing knowing that is the right mindfulness according to shanti deva so uh, should i be, believe in such a way that as this when whether then whether among harmful people or even in the midst of women the steady effort to control myself will not decline so he's a monk so that's why um i think that when he is among the women he should have a steady effort to control myself um that practice he's talking about that practice it's better to be without health honor body and livelihood and it is better to let others virtues deteriorate rather than ever to let the virtues of mind decline oh you who wish to guard your minds i beseech you with folded hands always exert yourself to guard mindfulness and alerts so this is actually he is actually 
praying, Shantideva is praying to himself, Oh, you who wish to guard your mind, I beseech you with folded hands, always exert yourself to guard mindfulness and alertness. People who are disturbed by sickness have no strength to do anything useful. Likewise, those whose minds are disturbed by confusion and ignorance have no strength to do anything wholesome. So when I'm talking or when I'm doing anything or even feeling something, one way of practicing mindfulness or alertness is actually knowing that, okay, I'm actually doing this. I'm having anger now. Or I'm having desire now. Or I'm not actually paying any attention to this. It doesn't matter to me. My doesn't actually, I have nothing in it. So desire, hatred, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And behind that, those feelings are actually my, my own judgments and those are created by my own confusion and ignorance. And people who are disturbed by sickness have no strength, just like people who are disturbed by sickness have no strength to do anything. Those whose minds are disturbed by ignorance have no strength to do anything. And the ignorance is not knowing that these feelings are actually coming from my ignorant mind. Whatever has been learned, contemplated and meditated upon by those whose mind lacks alertness, just like water in a leaking vase will not be retained in their memory. Even those who have much learning, faith and willingness and perseverance will become defiled by a moral fall due to the mistake of lacking alertness. Importance of alertness. That's what he's talking about in this chapter. The first 30 verses. The host of thieves who are my own disturbing concepts. Ignorance. Will search for good opportunity. Having found it, they will steal my virtue and destroy my life in this happy realm. Therefore, I shall never let mindfulness depart from the doorway of my mind. If it goes, I should recall the misery of lower realms and firmly, firmly re-establish it there. So he's giving a method how to work with our mind when we are actually not lazy to practice mindfulness recall the misery of lower realm. So he's actually, so two kinds of recollection. Recollection that I'm, it is my, my ignorant mind that is actually creating my current ex experience. And if I'm not doing that, the other one, the carrot and the stick, right? The, the stick is like recalling the misery of lower realms. Through staying in the company of spiritual masters. So now he's actually switching gears to taking refuge to spiritual masters. Through staying in the company of spiritual masters, through the instructions of abbots and through fear, mindfulness will easily generate, be generated in the fortunate people who practice with respect. I am ever dwelling in the presence of all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas who are always endowed with unobstructed vision. I don't think we are going to complete this. This is a very important chapter, so I want to take more time. Um, and if 
there is no need to complete the text in the four sessions so this chapter has 100 plus verses and we are actually on 30 and if you don't complete this text in four sessions we'll revisit from february or something um, so this chapter is very rich this fourth chapter i i think as a homework i think all of you should go back search for this text and read this chapter even if you don't read the first three just read this chapter it's very well well arranged the first 10 verses he says everything is mine the next 20 is the need for guarding the mind and then all these comparisons to wounds and sickness and thief importance of teacher importance of positive affirmations and then doing the mindfulness with a purpose and uh, uh, you know there are some verses we he says in this kind of scenarios be like a piece of wood <laughs> so um, all those uh, techniques he's he gives he also revisits the preciousness of life and then um, sickness and taking medicine so this is a very rich chapter um, we have it is 7:45 now we have 15 more minutes i want to give you a, a small introduction um, to um, about the four powers of purification because that's that's the foundation that's one of the foundations in, introduced in this book in the in the second chapter and before going into that i want to open up for a five minute question answer comment anything what do you think about this chapter five heather uh, has a comment mm -hmm. <laughs> um what was just um landing for me is that the whole guide seems to be so packed with different teachings and like so many details, but then also, which way did I move? Um, also at the same time, overall, it's really just about love and opening our heart and caring about other people, which is something that I kind of feel like has, you know, is missing in society lately. And so it's a really, it, just felt like a really important message to me when I was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was so that is, Yeah, so that is the Mahayana path, right? So it's not about like um, know, learning about learning meditation and learning about the Four Noble Truths and um, uh, impermanence and um, no self, nothing like that. It is all about see the, the concept of renunciation and bodhicitta in if we don't actually be careful it's actually doesn't go together renunciation says leave everything bodhicitta says embrace everything you know um so uh, when renunciation so this this book is actually as you said it has a lot of practices and it is well arranged it's actually storytelling he's actually telling to his his own his own practice it was not written for others and therefore at, at his level there may not be others 
so it was not written like as a as a writer for students or anything like that it was uh, i when i started practice i used to you know when i when i got to sanghas i used to make notes on my and after 10 years when i read read that sometimes tears comes because i used to talk to myself i used to write like why jay are you still doing it you know you did that uh, that time and this what happened you're still looking for it <laughs> you're still and if there is an opportunity you will still do that and you know what happened why are you still doing it and i will go back and read that 10 times 15 times sometimes a saturday i will full go to mckinley park and read that so um i can see a similarity um uh, like the, the power of self affirmation power of contemplation and um leaving that self cherishing world view and world worldly activities and then planting the bodhicitta and then not again self cherishing can come as wish for enlightenment just for us <laughs> you know so then the bodhicitta comes and says no oh, we are actually not doing it for just for ourselves we are everything is one so um we are doing it for everybody else also yes so it's a different text it, it actually typical mahayana renunciation bodhicitta and then chapter 9 wisdom thank you for that comment anybody else Um, I just think it's beautiful to go through this text so slowly and hear you read it and contemplate it. There's a way to realize that uh, there's an ancient tradition of reciting texts and copying texts, and it forgets sometimes that when we study and we just read it silently to ourselves, we can skip things that we don't realize that we're skipping yeah. or go a little too fast. Exactly. So I'm really reveling and enjoying in the. the pace of going through it the way you've been doing it and um the verse about um covering the the world with leather it comes up i think in my life and our lives so often yeah, because how often we try to work with the problem out there and get other people to change and the situation to change and and uh then realize it's just it's just such a brilliant way of um an image for how we try to control what we have no control over and doesn't make a difference anyway if we could control it but then when we turn to that light inward with some awareness and compassion and change our own hearts and the whole world changes and uh, i just loved hearing that again yeah mm-hmm. And then I just put in a uh, where was it? Oh, this is Alan Wallace's translation just as a person bitten by disease is unfit for any work so the mind lacking those two is not fit for any work. And I just wanted to make a comment because I know Alan is very very precise in the words that he uses and the word fit for work there would probably be I I can't check the original text would be layrung or layrung and uh, that means to be fit for work in the spiritual context and and uh, Stephen Batchelor said something like fit for to do anything wholesome uh is one of those things 
one of those references to the deeper work of changing the inner body flow to an enlightened inner body, to a body of light, to an awakened body. So it's one of the references to doing the very deep work of the three bodies of a, gaining the three bodies of a Buddha. So I just thought I'd point that out because I'm not 100% sure, but it jumped out at me as I, I think that was his reference uh, that if we, if our minds are lacking these qualities and these abilities, then what possibility is there for us to be able to do the, the subtle inner work of deep oh. meditation? So in other words, our, our minds can't settle enough to go through the different stages of shamatha vipassana, and then what gets built on that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to take, um, if there is no other comments, anybody has any other comments? I'm going to just um, give a small reminder because it's very important um, about the four by four table, the four laws of karma, the four flowers, the four steps and four powers. So this is one of the uh, second chapter of this text is confession or purification. And um, so the reason there is a full chapter on, on that is showing how important that it is. Again, it is about purification means it goes back to Lama Ami said the purification of, as a as a sickness. Um, uh, you know, we are purifying our uh, bad karmas. The four laws of karma is karma is definite. Karma, karmic seeds grow. Once planted, it must sprout. Planting is must to sprout. That's the third one. And fourth is once planted, it will sprout. So um, I think all of you might have heard this before, but it's very important to hear it again and so that you can work with it. And so the four laws of karma is karma is definite. Mental seeds of kindness will ripen as a result, as results that are pleasant. And mental seeds of unkindness will ripen as 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 results that are unpleasant. And seeds grow. Seeds not planted cannot give any result. Don't expect something from nothing. Seeds planted must give results. So if it is planted, it will result in something. The four flowers is karmic seeds ripen as similar. It ripens as a habit. It ripens also as conditions that we are in. And it is it ripens at, at the rate of 65 in an instant. These are the four flowers. So seeds ripen as similar event as a habit. So once it has become the habit, it's very difficult. And it, sometimes it can be the environment. So there is some, if anybody is interested, there is a correlation. There is a two page of karmic correlations. I can send it to you. I have, uh, let me know if anybody knows, uh, wants that. Um, and seeds throw our future. We never run out of seeds. So that means 65 every 
um, instead there is 65 planting i don't know how they got into that number and, and the first time i heard that actually i still remember maybe 10 years back or something um uh, and alamami brought a, a nun to teach and she said you are all doing bad karma every second and i'm like i am not <laughs> I, I i was like that's the first thought that came into my mind i'm not doing any bad karma <laughs> But now it makes so sense that because everything that I project outside is based on my self-cherishing worldview and it doesn't it actually may not cause any harm to anybody, but it's actually planting my own desire, um, hatred, my own self-cherishing worldview. That itself is a bad karma. Um, the four steps of purification, uh, four steps of planting uh, of a karma is knowing what you want, planning and do intentionally that action and then rejoicing. So if you want to do the completion of a karma happens knowing. Let's talk. Let's talk about the uh, good karma, knowing. What you want. Make a plan about it. You know, it may be changing a habit. Or whatever in whatever areas of the life that you want some karmic purification know what you want and then do some planning so even knowing have results planning has action results and do some intentional action maybe coming to this class is one intentional action maybe and then sit and rejoice in it after the class take like 30 seconds to rejoice wow that was a good class i'm gonna read that chapter five now <laughs> and do that and then rejoice on that too so this that is um the four steps of a karma what makes a completion of a karma and the four powers of purification recognition or refuge intelligent regret a remedial action and restraining from restraining from doing that bad karma again so four powers of purification so purification of a bad karma is recognition recognition of that recalling our understanding um, of how our negative mind actually created that negative karma having an intelligent a deep regret the power of regret generating a deep regret for that behavior that caused us to do that deed sit with it not guilt but a regret and it, you can add wisdom to it samsaric cyclic existence is like that we are dragged into doing things but taking responsibility so regret and then do one act of remedy either in mind or outside determined to do that and some makeup activity as an antidote And then rejoice in it and also then the restraint determined to avoid repeating that negative behavior at least if you cannot do it forever at least for like this month i won't do it or i am not gonna be like that with my family you know whatever way so um when we actually read and study text like bodhisattva way of life 
it's very important that we do some kind of purification along with it um, because just like we have a precious, precious human birth it's very regret very what am i saying today and no words are coming to i'm actually talking all this it's very rare um to have opportunity to read dharma it's very rare to listen to the root text and it's very rare to have a sangha to practice with so we got all that and so just we we are adding more power to that by doing some purification knowing that you know so and especially since shantideva has said purification as one of one of the foundational practices to start with studying this um so take some negative karma and do some purification of recognition regret remedy and restraint and then do some positive by knowing by do, take a positive thing plan for it and do intentional act, action and rejoice and maybe i'm actually giving you that homework of reading the chapter 5 so please come back next week reading this chapter you can actually read it in maybe half an hour or less than that if you if you're not a reader go to youtube and search there are audios of it it's very just lie down and listen to it it's very meditative so you can do meditation listening um to the original text the guide to bodhisattva way of life मैत्री करुणमुदीत उपेक्ष मैत्री करुणमुदीत उपेक्ष